This is Democracy Appalled, and I am your host, Rohan Mova. Here at Democracy Appalled, we talk about democracy and its impact on the world. The show, it's all about democracy. This is Democracy Appalled. Throughout the show, if you have any questions about democracy, you realize any comments, you realize any concerns, send us an email at democracyappalled at gmo.com. Again, that's democracyappalled at gmo.com. Anything you say, comment, we'd love to bring that as our next topic in next week's session. This is Democracy Appalled, every Monday, 5 a.m. Eastern. So what is Democracy Appalled about? Every week, we'll discuss something along the lines about the evolution of democracy in recent history, how democratic factors and their evolution are playing a role in our current affairs in the U.S. and globally, how democracy is at a standstill in a pernicuously polarized society. Is that, impact pro- is that impacting progress and development? I mean, that's the real question. Polarization, it's a big issue. And we'll continue to monitor it here at Democracy Apart every Monday, 5 a.m. Eastern. Is the current democratic state slowing down the United States' global influence? That's one that's taking a lot of current affairs into that. Are external factors or external countries taking advantage of the foundations of an American-style democracy in its current climate, in our current polarized, in our current tension climate? It's a very, very changing, ever-changing climate, don't you say? The historic strengths of American democracy becoming the new weaknesses of American democracy. That's a really interesting topic that I hope we get to at some point uh, throughout these coming weeks, you know, the strengths are one-time foundations, our one-time strengths becoming the, our new weaknesses. And the impact of the media, the media, it always comes back to it, doesn't it? The impact of bias, the impact of controlling media and the current democratic process. But the press, there's a reason it's the fourth estate. It's really important. For this week's show, we will go through democracy this week for a little bit. Then we'll move on to... Um, the general other topics of this week, um, like economy, <laughs> we'll talk about um, some uh, case studies with countries like Israel, Brazil, Iraq. It's going to be an interesting show. It really will be. Some, we'll talk about the current affairs. You know, if you listen to the State of the Union, this might be interesting. So let's take a listen. So let's start off with democracy this week. Let's look at the current affairs. So did you guys listen to the State of the Union this week? You know, I have my co-host, Sridhar, here. He will be, uh, he goes by Sri actually, but he'll be our guest co-host. He'll be here a couple times. You know, you'll see him if you tune in every Monday at 5 a.m. Eastern. You, you'll, you'll hear from Sri a little bit. Hello. Hello, Rohan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's quite early today. Oh, yeah. It's always early. Yeah. So did you did you watch uh, President yeah, Biden? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was a good State of the Union. I know President uh, Biden choked up a little in the beginning, but uh, overall, it was a good one. What do you think? Yeah, well, from someone that's almost uh, what 80, 81 years old. Yeah, yeah, he did a good job. I mean, overall, it was a positive thing. Um, but as you know, Biden just chokes up a little uh, in pretty much every speech that he gives, but. Uh, <laughs> Is uh, it's been pretty good. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was redundant from what he said last year. Not not too much real progress. He did have some other. He did have some good things though. You know, there's this one quote that he said during the State of the Union that I really liked. He said that he said the only nation in this world built on an idea. The only one talking about the United States, of course. He said other nations are defined by geography, ethnicity, 
but we're the only nation based on an idea that all of us, every one of us, is created equal in the image of God, a nation that stands as a beacon to the world, a nation in a new age of possibilities. And I thought that was really, really profound because he's right. The United States is the only nation built on an idea. I mean, it's the nation built upon democracy. It's a nation that was built upon the idea that everyone was created equal. It's the nation that, based on the idea of the pursuit of happiness that translated into the American dream, that translated into manifest destiny. All of those things have come from that one idea that we're all created equal and we can achieve anything. Don't you think that's amazing? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good comment, uh, but uh, we, we should uh, look at the history um, of uh, the evolution of democracy in the U.S. It did not start that way uh, when the founding fathers came in. Uh, if it did, we wouldn't have had a civil war. We wouldn't have had many things that uh, we had to correct along the way to make it a better democracy and include everyone into the society. But as it stands today, it is what Biden said, but that had to evolve over a period of 200 years. And uh, the generations after the founding fathers have put in a lot of effort to get to where we are today. I mean, you're very right, because, you know, when, when the founding fathers created the United States, they didn't think of a, uh, a democracy the way we think of it now. Democracy's definition itself evolves as society evolves because there is no one definition that governs us and the fact is that you know when the founding fathers thought of democracy they didn't think of it as a populism full sort of populism they were worried about mob rule which um it's i mean not that it has happened but it could happen it could it very well could but you know he said that and you you brought up the civil war he said that it's the america is based on the built on the idea that every one of us is created equal and that is an idea that, you know, we've really gone through, through the Civil War, you know, women's rights and the 19th Amendment. Um, all yeah, that yeah. Stuff. I mean, it, it's, it's an evolution and we have long ways to go to make this an inclusive society, the human rights. And, but the foundation, make no mistake, the foundation is solid. The founding fathers have had a good vision for America and... Uh, Democracy has prevailed in many of the tests that were put into place, even most the most recent ones. Uh, but but yeah, I mean it's a it's a positive progress, I would say, and uh, I would um, definitely agree with Biden in the current state of uh, uh, of democracy in the U.S. Long ways to go. We still are in a polarized society. Um, and we need to bring people together to be able to agree upon certain things. But uh, we are we are making progress. You know, I'm glad that you brought up the polarized society because a polarized society within a dem democracy really, really heavily impacts progress. Because right now, as you see it, there are two different parties, completely opposite parties. You know, in, in recent years, the polarization has gotten more and more. And in President Biden's State of the Union, he stated, we have to see each other not as enemies, but as fellow Americans. We're good people, he said. Yeah, uh, no, that is absolutely true. And and if you look at polarized society, what, what does that really mean? There, there is uh, there is support for both sides of an argument, and people really have to make a decision on which 
path to take. And um, in a democracy, majority uh, prevails while respecting and protecting the minority rights. That's basically what it boils down to. But the the biggest challenge that I see in American democracy is that the participation of citizens in a democratic process is at best 60 to 70 percent. We do not have people coming in and casting the vote, which means that in, a, a, let's say, a, a pool of 100 people, only 60 people are participating in a democracy, and the majority in that is 31, right? So if you include that, in 100, if you get 31 votes, you you get a demo, uh, majority. But that will only change if we are able to have a larger participation of the people to make sure that we can avoid this polarized society. I mean, yeah, there's a couple of things that go into that voter turnout is a big deal. And there's that really does impact democracy. But there's a couple of things that go into that. I mean, would you suggest that we have something like Mexico where they have compulsory voting? Absolutely. I think, I think, uh, per, in my opinion, as a citizen, you do not have the right to vote. You are obligated to vote. You should take this responsibility seriously. Otherwise, you shouldn't be part of the polarized society. If you want to take yourself out, you should take it, take yourself out completely, but not participate in a polarized society, but you decide not to vote because that, that is, causing a big dent like i said 31 votes in 100 people is not the majority that you should look for you should look for uh 55 or 60 in 100 uh 60 percent of the people participating and agreeing with a, a law or a policy and that will eliminate the polarization right now the situation is not that way and i think I think we need to, uh, before we make that as a mandatory rule, we should strongly encourage, understand why there is not enough turnover, turnout to go and uh, cast the vote and uh, see if we can address those issues. Yeah, I think there's a couple things wrong with what you said, really wrong, you know, because it's not the idea that, you know, you, we live in a free society where you're you're proud to be an American. That idea that idea that you're proud to be an American should mean that you want to vote. And if you don't want to vote, you don't want to be making a, a wrong decision. Someone has to earn your vote for you to go vote for them. And if they're not earning your vote, you shouldn't go vote for them. Or vote for anyone for that matter if no one you believe is earning your vote. Right. I mean in in a two party democracy, if uh, both the parties are not uh, convincing you it's a very sad situation. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, uh, like I said, we, we don't want to force people, but we should strongly encourage 60% um, vote, vote uh, turnout is the least in any democratic country in the world today. If you look at Israel or uh, India or Brazil, any of these, they have at least 80 to 85% turnout. And why can't we do it in America? Well, I don't know if it would be, you would say it's the lowest, but I mean, it might, it might be low, but it, I don't think it could be the lowest, but you know, well, 
if you also look at it, those countries you mentioned, Israel, India, you know, whatever else you mentioned, they're very corrupt. They have a lot of corruption. You know, the thing with American democracy is you don't have corruption. You don't have people bribing you to vote. You don't have compulsory voting where people are forced to make a rash decision. You know, but the idea is within a democracy, before you go make a vote, you need to be informed and you need to be informed. And if you're not getting informed, you can't make a vote. And there are different ways to get informed. I mean, obviously, you have all these with this age of new journalism. And by new journalism, I mean post-1980 communications revolution, like we're talking now on the radio, post-1980, different like technologies with the internet and all that sort of stuff, you know, in the 2000s, you know, but there's different ways to get informed now, but there are all these different things that you see on social media, what's true, what's not true. You know, people treat each other like enemies. You know, it's like President Biden said, you know, we're not enemies, we're Americans. We're all fighting for this same country that we believe in, but we forget that we all think that we're doing the right thing and forget that, you know, we're all on the same team. And this idea that we've become enemies is really tearing us apart because the Democrat Party, it's going more and more and more to the liberal where you don't recognize them. You know, the Republican Party is going more and more and more to the conservatives where you don't recognize them either. You know, where's the moderate ground? You know, you say you start a new party, you start a new party. Okay, you get a moderate. But, you know, if you get a moderate, it's going to take away from one of the parties, more likely than not. And then you'll just get a one party rule for a little bit. It'll be like um, that era of good feelings. You know, I don't know if you know about the era of good feelings, but it was a time when, you know, there was this one party that ruled for a while in the United States. And, you know, they caught it the era of good feelings because they thought there was unity, one party. But, you know, it wasn't even like that. Um, there was not yeah, unity. no, it's, it's, a, it's a good point. I think, um, again, we just need to have people participate and make sure that they are happy with the government they're choosing. Uh, so whatever we can do, and this is one way, this show is absolutely a forum for us to educate people about democracy and the values, um, the core values that democracy brings in and how pe- people can participate and uh, and get them educated uh, so and and to encourage them to go and vote and um, be part of this democratic process, which is which they should be very blessed to be part of it, uh, which uh, um, they should take it seriously and uh, not just a right that they can ignore, but a right that they should cherish and uh, use it effectively. So, so yeah, I mean, it's a, like I said, it's a good conversation. It's always good to talk to you on these topics and uh, hopefully we'll continue to do that on this show. No, we definitely will. And this is a very interesting topic. And when I bring back this informed idea next week, we can definitely go through some more next Monday, 5 a.m. Eastern time. You know, we hope to see you here because we could talk more about this informed idea because in being informed to a democracy that could be the number one thing. Information, motivation. Motivation is another key, key factor, which could be crucial. And we can all talk about that, you know, through public informed deliberation or deliberative democracy. Those are other ideas, too, that we could definitely touch on. You know, but if you're just joining us now, this is I'm this is Democracy Appalled, and I'm your host, Rohan Mova. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking about democracy and its impact on the world. This show is all about democracy. This is Democracy Appalled. And for those of you that have been listening for a little bit now, 
Um, if you have any questions about what we've said, if you have any comments, if you hate us, if you want to let us know, send us an email at democracyapollo at gmo.com. And we'll bring that topic in our next week's session. Remember that email is democracyappalled at gmo.com. Democracyappalled at gmo.com. For those of you that don't know how to spell it appalled, you know, my, my co-host here, Shri, he didn't know how to spell appalled, but it is A-P-P-A-L-L-E-D, democracyappalled at gmo.com. You know, it's very common. I didn't know appalled spelling, you know, the spelling always gets me. English is such a tough language. Really thanks, Rohan. Thanks for educating <laughs> me on how to spell appalled at 5 a.m. in the morning. But uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll have to get some more coffee to get that right next time. Anytime happens to me all the time. Again, democracyappalled at gmail.com if you want to let us know. 5 a.m. Eastern, Monday. Let's get into this next topic. You know, we'll talk about the idea is, is democracy appalled or prevailing this week? That's the major question that we're wondering. Yeah, um, we, we'll we'll talk about two very strong democratic countries uh, that align with the U.S. in the core democratic values: um, Israel and Brazil. Uh, these two countries have been in the news this week. Uh, so let's let's uh, look at both of these countries and see what their um, democratic policy is and why they're in the news this week. Um, let's start with Israel. Israel is in the news uh, this week for potentially a bad reason. Uh, hope uh, that won't be the case, but it looks that way. Um, as you all know, Israel is a very strong democra uh, democratic country with rooted core democratic values. There has been ongoing tension between Israel and Palestine for decades, but that's not the topic for today. Today's topic is more about the internal politics and political struggle within Israel. Israel has had uh, many challenges in the recent past uh, to establish a strong and stable government with uh, no party gaining strong majority. Um, Again, it's a, it's a polarized situation in that country as well. Uh, but around six weeks back, Benjamin Netanyahu, who again was um, has uh, been the prime minister for, a, I think this is his uh, fifth or sixth term, um, a long-time leader for uh, Israel. Um, six weeks back, he was sworn in as the prime minister of Israel, uh, after the recent elections, and he formed a coalition government with uh, some of uh, the allies. Uh, hope you uh, followed uh, Israel, and uh, you want to talk about the recent news, Rohan? Yeah, I mean, Benjamin Netanyahu, he's been on and off Israel's prime minister, right? So I'm looking at it now, and he's... So from 1996 to 1999, he was prime minister, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And then 2009 to 2021, long reign, he was prime minister again. Then... Yep. He like he went away for a year, but now he came back. You know, a couple of weeks ago, just this past December in 2022. Yeah, yeah, and he has worked with many U.S. Uh, presidents, and uh, his uh, Israel again generally is a strong ally for for the U.S. Um, but again, this week is pretty rough for democracy in uh, in Israel. Um, hopefully, that'll that'll get sorted out. Yeah, so let's go into it. I mean, Netanyahu's government has a new proposal that is being debated by the lawmakers. It's the override clause. 
this could be seen as a way to get an absolute power grab. That is scary. That is really scary. But the new proposed law is all about judiciary's role in a democratic government. It would allow the ruling government to have full control on the appointment of judges. And second is that the high court has no right to strike down a quasi-constitutional basic laws or amendments to them. In other words, if there's a situation that involves a disagreement between executive and judicial branch, the executive branch, aka the prime minister, can simply override the judicial branch and create laws that, that strike and strike down the judicial branch's ruling. In other words, the basic foundation of democracy of checks and balances is shaken up. That is really scary, man. If the legislation goes through, the court will simply become another instrument of the governing coalition. This is a huge development in, the strong, in a strong democratic country. I mean, it's foundations, the foundations of democracy, checks and balances, everything that democracy holds true to itself is being questioned. I mean, when you have leaders that, when you get to that high of power and you've had it for so long, he had it from 2009 to 2011, 2009 to 2021, and then he gets kicked out of office. First thing he does when he comes back is he wants more power. Yeah, I mean, it, you get you got to look uh, deeper into into the country and the current states. Uh, the uh, in the recent past, in the last few years, uh, uh, the judiciary has uh, uh, stepped over its um, responsibility, and it has made some decisions that are controversial and. Uh, there is some support for this, but yeah, I'm, I absolutely agree that this is a concerning thing for, for a democratic country uh, to uh, be able to do something so drastic and uh, take away the power of judiciary in a democracy. Um, but but we'll, we'll keep an eye on it and uh, we'll provide updates next week. But uh, this is a latest development in a strong democratic country which uh, is of a concern that is scary you know I, we, we will definitely get back to this because whatever happened to this override clause um that's being debated it, it's it's a crucial thing that'll change israel's future you know democracy's future how democracy evolves globally and so on so i mean this is something crucial to keep an eye on checks and balances wow yeah yeah i know it, it is and uh um the foundations are shaken up a little bit here but uh and again democracy has prevailed over uh, the generations and I'm, I'm sure they'll find a common ground to come up with a good amicable solution there we'll we'll keep an eye on it um let's move on to brazil brazil is another strong democratic country in south america brazil had uh General elections last year, as you know, and uh, uh, it was a close contention. No candidate got a full majority. The country went to a runoff election and Lula da Silva was elected as a president. Um, uh, Lula uh, is part of the left wing workers party and he has served as a president actually in the past uh, in 2002 and i believe he got reelected uh, for another term in 2006 as well but um, but he has been out of the picture for quite some time but he came back to the limelight um the incumbent president uh, was uh, jair bolsonaro uh, who was seeking the second term he had been elected in 2018 as a candidate of the Social uh, Liberal Party, 
but lost to Lula in last year's election. Yeah, Bolsonaro was a close ally of you know the United States and President Trump when he was there. You know, Jair oh, yeah. Bolsonaro. He he. Um, this in Brazil's most recent election. It's a it's the exact thing what you want to see. You don't want to see in a democracy with polarize with great polarization because you know Lula. He's the far far left, and Bolsonaro. He's the far far right. Yeah. You know, for for Brazil, it's like there's they don't know where the middle ground is because. They have two real extremists. I mean, they're not finding the middle ground. You know, when when people always knock these old guys for being, um, you know, too old to run the show, you know, we need a younger generation. But the thing is, these old guys, you know, they tend to kind of cross over party lines a couple more times. You know, if you think about President Biden in the U.S., you know, he's he's for, you know, his 40 whatever years he's been in office. He's always preached bipartisanship, and when he was in the Senate, he did a lot of that. You know, even President Trump, for some time, he was a Democrat. For some time, he was a Republican. Some issues, he's more liberal than he is for with conservatives. You know, that was an issue when he became the Republican nominee. I mean, these guys are the oldest candidates that we've ever had, and they're yeah, not they 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 have uh, seen the evolution, and uh, even Biden has uh, changed his stance on multiple things many times in the past, which is not a bad thing. Uh, again, it it shows that these leaders have evolved with uh, the democracy and with the younger generation coming in and have um, uh, educated themselves to be part of this transformation that uh, U.S. or any other country is going through. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I agree. And uh, the younger generation leaders have to embrace that and uh, understand that there is a lot to catch up, a lot to learn, and um, look at other views and perceptions before making the decision so that it is not it right or wrong thing but it is there is always a common middle ground that uh, you can land in and identifying that and the ability to have those conversations and finding that common ground is critical for someone to evolve as a leader for a long-term um, plan in in a political society I agree. And with the emergence of social media, maybe the polarization is becoming more and more because of the emergence of social media. And that's something we can talk about in, in a later episode, but it that could be why there's the younger generation that's so much more polarized than the older generation. Or maybe the younger generation just evolves. You know, maybe that's how it is. You know, I'm yeah. not sure really, yeah. but that could be. Yeah, I mean, it, it has to. It has to. And, uh, and that, that's what uh, time will tell us. But uh, if if there is anything that uh, the young generation, young leaders can learn from uh, the long timers, then that would be it to be able to have conversations and find the common ground, which is what is lacking significantly in many of the democratic societies. It is either far left or far right. Uh, we we have rarely seen a democracy that is in the middle ground in in the world these days. And we'll talk about some of the other use cases and um, case studies for other countries in the hopefully in the next segments. If you allow me to join your uh, show, you're welcome anytime. You're welcome anytime. You know, but hey, we got a little off topic here. But you really are welcome anytime. But 
we're talking about Brazil. You know, if you're just joining us here at Democracy Apollo, we start every Monday at 5 a.m. Eastern. And I'm your host, Rohan, with my occasional guest co-host, Sridhar. Uh, he goes by Sri. If you want to email us at democracyappalled at gmo.com, you can address us, uh, your comments, questions, concerns, anything you want us to talk about in next week's session, we will bring it up. But again, we're talking about Brazil, and we got a little off topic here, but um, basically, in the most recent election, far left Lula beat far right incumbent uh, President Jair Bolsonaro. And Bolsonaro still has not accepted his defeat and has called the elections rigged and unconstitutional. In January, thousands of Bolsonaro supporters who refused to accept the ex-army captain's electoral defeat stormed Congress, the Supreme Court, and the presidential palace, palace with some calling for military intervention to stop Bolsonaro to, uh, to power or remove Lula from office. I mean, this is a very sad, sad event for democracy. And, you know, I mean, this isn't uncommon. It's happened in other places in the world, you know. Some might even say the January 6th insurrection, um, which took place in 2021, could be similar to this. It just... Yeah, it is. It is a very, very similar situation. Again, uh, we didn't get uh, set a high standard there uh, in the U.S. Uh, for the countries to follow. But, but yeah, this is very similar to what happened in the U.S., but it's an unfortunate event. And uh, uh, the reason why we are talking about um, Brazil today is um, that Lula is in Washington, D.C., meeting with Biden this week. So I, uh, we thought uh, it's it's uh, a good uh, time for us to have a conversation on Brazil. Yeah, I mean, Bi President Biden called Lula following his victory late last year, hoping to demonstrate support after uh, former President Bolsonaro had laid the groundwork to question the election results. Um, I mean, the main point about democracy is there's an election. The election takes place. You got to accept the results. You got to hope it's a safe election. You got to do your best to make sure it is a safe election. But once the election takes place, you got to respect the results. And, you know, Bolsonaro, he laid the groundwork to question the election results. And the move was uh, received well among Lula officials who saw the, the President Biden's move to invite Lula to the White House was uh, seen as a uh, a way to restore U.S.-Brazil ties because um, President Biden wanted to create these new ties with Brazil um, following Bolsonaro's exit because President Biden had lar largely iced Bolsonaro out, engaging with him only sparingly. But um, with, you know, the more left-wing Lula, he finds himself more of an ideological ally. Um, so by extending an early invitation to Lula to visit the White House, Biden hoped to cultivate closer ties and demonstrate his support for one of the Western Hemisphere's key players because Brazil is growing and it's growing fast. They have a big economy that can, they have a lot of space, they have great resources. I mean, Brazil is just ready to go and they're starting at it. They're, they're a really ready to go booming economy that's going to take, take a hold of this, uh, take a hold of this world and, for the United States to create ties with Brazil and continue to maintain those ties, it's important. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a strong democracy in in South America. Uh, it, it is one of the uh, largest democracies and a successful one, uh, if I might add, uh, so far. And uh, this might be a, a small disruption there, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they ultimately prevailed and uh, it was an unfortunate event that happened. But uh, the key is that um, 
the two leaders are talking and hoping to have stronger ties uh, between the countries, both economically and also politically. Um, so we'll we'll see uh, what comes out of it, and maybe we can uh, provide an update to our viewers and listeners um, next week on uh, any new and uh, latest developments on that topic. Yeah, a good step for them. Good step for Brazil and a good step for the United States as well. No, no, and our next next uh, next part. Let's talk about global democracy's impact. You know, for today's topic, let's pick a rock and see how much progress has been made in Iraq. You know, as you as you've known, Iraq has had a tumultuous past. You know, with you know wars with uh, with their dictator. You know, we'll get into it. We will. A good stable democracy is not an easy. It's not always an easy thing to achieve. It needs great leaders. Strong commitment from local communities, and people have to be strongly aligned with core values. Absolutely, I mean, again, democracy is not something that uh, can be achieved overnight, and it's a long, thought-out process. It is not for everyone in every country. It needs to be something that people in those countries can embrace that change. It's a long-hauling change. It um, ultimately will be inclusive of uh, all the people in the country but it is a change that uh, disrupts the demographic nature whichever um, form of government the country is coming out of either a regime tyrant regime or um, a king or any of these um, governments if it is transitioning into democracy the the country has to embrace for the change otherwise it is going to be a difficult one and it is not something that you can force upon it and we'll talk about iraq iraq is a good topic and uh, what do you think how how is democracy working in iraq in your opinion yeah no i'll get to that but you know i think it's you're you're very right for democracy you either have to be all in or all out you know because democracy requires the people's participation and you know we mentioned it earlier in the earlier in the in the segment without um without people's participations you know voter turnout all these issues you don't have as successful of a democracy as you could so with democracy i mean it's the people participating and you're either all in or you're all out and it's difficult to have a democracy when you know leadership is not on board the people are not on board you you can't force democracy upon a place that doesn't want democracy because democracy relies upon the people putting their minds together for the betterment of the country and that must be the way that they want it they want to be able to participate yeah i mean in simple terms democracy requires sacrifices if you look at any successful democratic country there is at least one generation that sacrificed for the betterment of the country look at us um Brazil, India, any of these countries that are a successful democracy right now, there was a price, a significant price that uh, the previous generations has, have paid for, and we are reaping the results of it. But uh, if a country, if a generation in that country is not um, willing to provide that sacrifice and give that to the future generations, that then 
that is a difficult process to achieve. And we can talk about some of the Arab Spring countries that uh, started this um, transition, but uh, did not go through well in probably the next segments. But uh, yeah, let's let's stay on Iraq for the today and uh, give your thoughts on Iraq. Yeah, since you know, I just want to add one more thing. You know, when you know you said democracy is only one generation away from dying. Reminds me of President Reagan's quote when he said freedom is only one generation away from dying, which freedom, democracy, I mean, they go hand in hand, which makes a lot of sense because, you know, it only takes one generation to stop the evolution of society, to stop the evolution of democracy. And if you're not constantly working towards that evolution, towards preserving it, you know, it could just go away, really could. But on to Iraq now. Um, since the fall- Yeah, I mean, just to add to your point, it, it is... Uh, uh, it is like a small baby. You have to handhold democracy to ensure that people are not taking advantage of the great freedom that comes from democracy. And uh, you need to keep a tab on it. Otherwise, uh, there, there can be a devastating consequence if um, freedom is misused in a democratic society. Um, the whole notion of democracy is to give the independence and the freedom to the people, but you should also have a check to ensure that that freedom is used wisely and the values are um, being uphold by the people in the country. So, so yeah. I mean, we, that's why we have the checks and balances with the judicial branch, legislative branch, the executive branch, and then really it's all checked by the people. So, I mean, if, mm-hmm. if a group of people that is all working for the betterment of um, the United States comes together, uh, you you come together and all those people are working together. And, you know, those are the checks and balances that make up a democracy. It's the people. It's the votes. It's uh, everybody yep. coming together. Um, okay, on to Iraq. You said, how is democracy working in Iraq? Well, since the fall of Saddam Hussein's regime in 2003, Iraq has been working to establish a democratic system of government. The country has held several rounds of elections and has made some progress in building democratic institutions, such as an independent judiciary and a free press. You know, the free press is not talked about enough. You know, it's talked about, but many times journalists are seen as the opposition. They're seen as the enemy. Really, journalists are just there to be the voice for the people, and that's why they're the fourth estate. You know, they're not called the fourth estate here in the United States for no reason. The founding fathers didn't name them the fourth estate because they ran out of estates. <laughs> but it's because <laughs> um, it's because journalism and the free press, they play such a key role in being the watchdog of the government, watchdog for the people, reporting back. You know, it's this muckraking journalism that really started many, many like oversights, you know, with Ida Tarbell and Upton Sinclair and his meatpacking. So journalism and the free press, it's really important. And the fact that Iran has built several Democrat, I mean, not Iran, sorry, Iraq. Iraq has built several democratic institutions such as an independent judiciary and the free press. It's really important. You know, but however, the development of democracy in Iraq has been complicated by ongoing security challenges, you know, as well as political and economic instability. Now, there have been concerns about the influence of outside actors such as uh, Iran uh, on the political process and some criticism of the government's efforts to suppress uh, opposition and limit freedom of speech. 
The government has also faced criticism for failing to address widespread corruption and provide basic services to the population. Again, when you go back to the concept of democracy is either all in or all out, go back to, this goes back to the idea that leadership of a country has to be all in. And when you have a leadership that's not all in, like uh, we're seeing with Iraq, where you know there have been some problems with their political process and suppression, limiting of the freedom of speech, you know, freedom and democracy interrelatable, inter interconnected all the time. And it's uh, when the leadership's not on board, there's no reason to go through with it if you can't fully commit to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th this is a good uh, case study. Uh, Iraq has been. Um, a country that was forced upon to embrace democracy. The people were not ready for it. The leaders were not ready for it. Uh, and it is um, contrary to the Arab Spring, uh, where uh, democracy started evolving. This one was something that was forced upon it. Again, it, it's uh, something that the country wasn't prepared to make the sacrifices that democracy needs to prevail. And um, if you look at the progress that Iraq made over the last 20 to 25 years, um, it it is still struggling to establish a democratic society. Yes, they have had uh, elections. Yes, they have had some judiciary independent, what they call independent. Yes, they had uh, free press. But internally, there is a lot of, um, uh, of struggle, and uh, it is a country that is nowhere close to building a true democratic society and uh, making all parts of the society inclusive. Um, unfortunately, it, it is going to be a long haul for it, and... Um, the polarized again it's it's the same concept here the polarized uh, societies and in this particular case it is not based on a policy or a principle but it is more on a religious basis that the country is divided and there is not a leader who can bring these two sides together uh, at least at this moment so overall while Iraq has had many uh, some progress, makes, made some progress in building democratic institutions and holding fair elections, um, there are still significant challenges uh, to the country's uh, democratization process. Uh, the country will likely continue to face difficulties in establishing a true, true democratic system of government in the coming years but it is dependent on the efforts of the government and the uh, commitment of the Iraqi people to overcome these challenges. Again, uh, it, it is up to the people in a democratic society. And when the people in the country are not willing to embrace that change, it is going to be extremely difficult. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it is, a, again, a good case study that... Um, it, it takes a while for democrat, uh, democracy to evolve in a country and it takes sacrifices. And in some cases, it may not be the right form of government. Um, uh, again, it, uh, we, we'll need to look at other countries, um, but forcing a country to 
take up democracy uh, did not go well in this particular case study. So uh, back to you, a question to you is, Iraq a success story for democratic transition. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'll get back to that question. But the idea that, I mean, you said democracy was forced upon Iraq. I think that's very, very true because, you know, when Bush, when the Iraq war, you know, I think the United States really asserted itself to put its place, its foot on Iraq and said, you're going to be a democracy. Is that is that true? Yeah, I mean, that that's basically what happened. I mean, the first stage was to topple Saddam Hussein, which was uh, no doubt the right thing to do, but we did not have a plan to succession. Uh, we just went with one goal. Uh, that goal was the most easiest of all. It only took like 20 days to topple Saddam Hussein, uh, but it took more than 20 years to establish a stable government, and we are not anywhere close to that even today after 20 years. So, so yeah, I, I mean, when, when a country like U.S. takes these decisions, we need to look at uh, the impact and the implications of it uh, in the long term. And um, if we were to do it all over again, I don't think we would take the same path uh, that we did. Um, so, so yeah. It's, I agree. Uh, I mean, you, not only did you, did you put many, many U.S., uh, you know, s- servicemen at risk, you know, and you many lost their lives protecting you know the country and protecting democracy really in in the name of democracy and they toppled saddam hussein's regime which you know i've I've seen many interviews with the iraqi people where they said it was kind of like a prison within iraq under saddam hussein so i mean it was the right thing to do that was the right thing you know but i don't think i think you're right i don't think the united states would do it again especially not without a secure plan i mean it hurt the United. It didn't help the United States that much at all, really. Yeah, yeah, no, it it did not, and uh, we did not. Uh, the U.S. did not expect this to be uh, uh, such a painful transition, uh, but it is. Um, uh, we we have seen this in many places in the past with the Vietnam and uh, all of these uh, places where we tried to force a change onto a society and. Uh, it is not easy. It is not something that we can do it. We need to have a dialogue with the leaders and bring them, embrace the change, but we cannot force a change on a country to to embrace democracy. And uh, we learned it the hard way and uh, Iraq is still suffering uh, because of that. And I'm, I'm hoping that that will uh, be a successful story in the years to come. Definitely, definitely. And I think Vietnam is one of those other countries we can do a case study on in one of the later. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a good one. Yeah, definitely will. Um, so back to that question. What was the question you asked earlier? Is, is Iraq a success story for democratic transition? What do you think? You know, it, 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 it's difficult to say whether Iraq can be considered a success story for democratic transition. Um, while the country has only made has made some progress in establishing democratic institutions and holding elections, the democratization process has been complicated by ongoing security challenges, political and economic instability, and widespread corruption. I mean, the stability is not there for democracy. And the institutions built around democracy are not as stable, are not as secure, are not as you know prolonged as they should be uh, or cherished, you could say, in uh, one term. 
Um, you know, but there have been some notable successes within Iraq's democratic transition, such as the establishment of an independent judiciary and a free press, like we said earlier, as well as a peaceful transition of power between different political factions through democratic elections. You know, however, there have also been some, some significant challenges, you know, many, many significant challenges, such as the continued influence of outside actors on the political process. As we said, limited freedom of speech, you know, they, they've given this freedom of press, but they've also had other times oppose the freedom of speech you know so you can't have this you can't have it both ways you got to be for the freedom or you got to allow the people to speak allow the political process to take place or not and you know with that comes like the suppression of opposition you know which in these corrupt countries it takes place all the time you know but you know if i were to conclude the democratic tasing process in iraq has been a mixed success you could say you know there's still much work to be done to fully establish democratic system of government the future of democracy in Iraq will depend on the continued efforts of the government and the commitment to the Iraqi people to overcome the challenges they face to build a stable and prosperous democracy. So there's still a long ways to go. There is some mixed success. You know, there's good things. There's some bad things. But, you know, for them to overcome it, they have to come together as a people. They need to work to get the leadership, uh, you know, stabilized, the government stabilized. And they can take it from there, but you know they need to build themselves independently. Is what I'm what I'm seeing. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, we'll again we'll continue to monitor this uh, situation in Iraq and uh, hopefully do another segment um, probably in a few months. But uh, but yeah, it, it is a good case study that uh, that tells a lot of information, gives us a lot of information on how to approach. Uh, a country and transition it into a democratic process. So it's a it's a good topic. Yeah, we might we might update you on Iraq in a few months. But guess what? We'll be back here next Monday, the same time next Monday, 5 a.m. Eastern time. You can join us right back wherever you're listening to us right now, 5 a.m. Eastern time. You know this is Democracy Upon, and I'm your host Rohan Mova. You know if you have any questions what we've discussed today. If you have any comments, you hate us, you want to let us know, you love us, you want to let us know. I don't know if you love us, but maybe if you do, you got any comments, you got any concerns, you got anything, we want to hear it. Please send us an email at democracyappalled at gmo.com. Democracyappalled at gmo.com. You know, maybe we'll bring, we'll, if you email us some things, we'll bring it to our next topic, our, that topic, our next week's session. Um, so again, I'm your host, Rohan Mova. I'm so thankful to be joined by my uh, guest co-host you know i hope i'll see you next week maybe i'll see you next week yeah probably if i if i wake up early in the morning <laughs> at five o'clock and if i get get my coffee then yeah probably i'll i'll be here yeah i mean this show is all about democracy next week we'll update you on some more current affairs you know we'll go again uh, an evolution of democracy in stump state i'm thinking libya i think we do libya i mean that's a really really interesting one to do talking about the case study with libya yeah, Libya is, would would be a good one, uh, a very good case study. Again, it's uh, it's something that uh, um, Gaddafi and the tyrant regime and how people toppled that regime, but they could not take it all the way through. And uh, it, that country, after I believe it was in two, 2011, uh, that this uh, Arab Spring thing happened, but. Uh, it is still struggling to form a stable government in that country. But yeah, yeah we can we can definitely talk about uh, Libya in the next uh, uh, episode and uh, we can dive into it as a case study. Definitely. And we'll, we'll probably maybe get into the current state of U.S. democracy again. You know, 
talk about the evolution, maybe something with the founding fathers, possibly, you know, bring back into informed discussions, motivation for democracy, all that sort of good stuff. If not next week, maybe the week after, you know, but we'll always be here 5 a.m. Eastern time every Monday. We want you to join us. Uh, tell your friends and family. Um, thank you for listening to us and thank you for tuning in. Again, I'm your host, Rohan Mova, and this is Democracy Pod. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, hate us, love us, email us at democracyapod at gmo.com. Now, please join us next week, this Monday, next, next Monday, a week from today, 5 a.m. Eastern time. And thank you to my co-host, Sri. Thank you. Thanks, Rohan. And uh, yeah, definitely look forward to joining you in some of these sessions. As as you know, I'm very interested in this topic and uh, it is one of the cherished topics that have had a, a long research done on this, um, on many case studies across the world. Um, so I'll be happy to join you to uh, share my knowledge and information to your listeners. So glad to be here and hopefully I'll be here next week as well. I, I think you will be. I, if, if I have anything to say about it, I think you will be. You know, just to end it off, you know, let's answer the question. Is democracy appalled or prevailing this week? So far it is. It is um, prevailing. Uh, and uh, like I said, the two topics that we touched on are concerning to democracy, but it is an evolving thing. And uh, um, there is to, to make a dent in democracy, it takes a long thing to have some significant dent. But these hiccups happen all the time in democracy and uh, with a strong foundation, um, uh, democracy will always prevail. But um, but there there are some events like like the Israeli one that uh, could be a concern, and I would say democracy is appalled in that particular case. But uh, I'm hoping that it will prevail, and it all depends on you know how well these different branches are put in place, um, and uh, the judiciary. And we should talk about judiciary and uh, the press, the freedom of press uh, in one of the upcoming episodes because the the intention of press being an independent uh, institution to provide uh, news and feedback to the users and to the people is diminishing these days. It is a biased um, uh, form of uh, news channels uh, so we'll we'll uh, it'll be nice to have a topic on that one as well in the future but uh, but yeah i mean so far i would say 80% uh, democracy prevailed and 20% uh, appalled for this week you know i think anytime you don't hear you know definitely freedom of press first off that's something that hits very close to home for me so i'd love to talk about that one for sure we'll definitely get into that one time but um you know, with democracy apart or prevailing, anytime you don't hear any news about democracy, you, you, you'd say it's prevailing. You know, sometimes you hear these, these news like we did in Israel and Brazil. And, you know, if democracy was a person, I think uh, democracy would be appalled by those events. But overall, democracy is always prevailing unless democracy, you know, completely topples. You know, it's happened in certain scenarios, but democracy as a whole globally uh, within the United States, it is overall prevailing. But in this certain scenarios, there democracy is appalled. So there is that uh, question. So again, this is Democracy Appalled and 
Next week, we will once again get into is democracy a part of prevailing with the topics. And if you have any topics that you want us to talk about, email us at democracyapart at dero.com. And I'm your host, Rohan Mova, and joined by my uh, guest co-host, Sri. And um, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Democracy Appalled. And we hope to see you again next Monday, 5 a.m. Eastern time, right here. Join us again. Thank you, and have a great day. Thanks. Thanks, Rohan. Have a good one. Bye.